The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you seeking more energy and ready to have more healings and revealings in your life? Then you've tuned into the right program. For the next hour, listen in as Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, shares with you tools you can use to transform your life. She will guide you on a journey to create a life that is intentional and dynamic. Now, here's your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. Welcome everyone and thanks first and foremost for being an intentional spirit, for being alive and not contributing to the walking dead. Thank you for your awakeness, uh, your awareness and uh, and being into self-responsibility. And I'm so excited today when I think of um, someone that has just changed so many people's lives, uh, thinking of, you know, how then shall I live? I always think of... Uh, the well-known author, Wayne Mahler. Wayne, welcome to our show today, and thank you for being with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. And wow, the material and the books and everything that has come from you through the years, um, it's just amazing in how you have truly uh, been a shape shifter, if you will, in, in so many people's aha moment. But before we elaborate on not only the work that you've done in the past that continues, but what you're doing now, mm-hmm. can you share with us how you became an intentional spirit? Did you start out at a mystery school when you were a kid? Or did you have something that kind of brought out of you, you know, more of a greater sense of who you are? Well, I think probably like a lot of people, it was a little bit of both. Um, I remember um, uh, asking my mother, I remember having a conversation. I I remember standing in my bedroom. I I must have been like eight or nine or maybe ten years old. And I I, I had a conversation with her. I was asking her, I was was grilling her about how like being a minister of a church worked exactly like did they get paid did that <laughs> like how did, how did that thing all work so um I, for whatever reason you know i had my sights on or at least my curiosity on you know how this guy who sort of floated in on robes you know and then disappeared you know and who, who knows where he went during the week you know um but uh but so I, I was curious about that so clearly there was something going on um when I was a kid, and, and, and surely she told you that uh, the the pay was very secondary in people's <laughs> minds. <laughs> and don't ever be a minister and drive a nice car because that just really puts people over the edge. <laughs> uh, I don't recall that fame and fortune were mentioned uh, all that often, um, <laughs> but um, uh, and and also you know I was actually um, not. Um, not isolated as a kid. I mean, I had a lot of friends, but the, but there was a way that I, I I did feel a little set apart from uh, my peers, and um, and then in high school and junior high, more in high school, I sort of became one of those people like that everybody would come to when they were having 
problems, and um, uh, it wasn't anything I sought out. It was just one of those things that happened, um, and so I found myself um, called into that role by um, other people seeing something in me that they felt safe to be around, and um, and so when I, you know, started being an English teacher, which is what I thought I was going to be, I ended up spending more time talking with the kids after school about their families and their neighborhoods than I did about the Scarlet Letter or anything else we were supposed to be talking about. So um, uh, so then I, I just sort of fell into working with people and then... Um, and then working with um, especially um, Hispanic families in Southern California um, uh, as um, juvenile delinquents and people that I worked with, um, there was a lot of death in their families because there was gang activity and if someone dies then someone else has to die and and families didn't come to see me at the community mental health center they went to say a rosary or they went somewhere and i needed to know more about that fire that place they were going to be uh healed or comforted um and, and to be more fluent in that language so between the sort of call that i'd always felt and was trying my very best to resist for as long as i possibly could um with as much sex drugs and rock and roll as i could pack into southern california in the 70s which is saying a lot um <laughs> i could still I, I still couldn't get rid of it so finally i ended up you know basically saying okay fine um that was sort of the, my epiphany it was like fine um, <laughs> you, uh, you got me. There's nothing I can do about it, um, and that's when I went off to the seminary. So it's not very inspiring, but it's true. <laughs> well, well, and and yes, it is inspiring. And you know, people that you know meet you and connect with you as an author, or attend some of your many programs or have benefited from your Sabbath work or your your various books. I I always think it's great to tell that part because often mm. people think that people like you, um, you know, been trouble-free, never had right. many issues and there's just right. this illusion about it or or if right. when I share with people, you know, wow, you know, I used to be so terrified to speak. I'd, I was in ministerial school, said, please don't call on me, and people go, you? So it's an inspiration, right. I, I think, um, I, I don't think I uh, could compare myself with the uh, as much as you alluded to with the sex and the rock and roll, but I can say <laughs> that's a different talk show that you and I can create on yeah. another time. But I I can surely say that I I wanted to always go back in hiding. I I wanted right. to right. deny myself of what I really was born to be in the world and uh, very uh, uncomfortably so and just pretending and hoping it would all go away um, right. and it would not it, it would not I, I liken it to the writings of Ernest Holmes that says that mm. it's something it's somewhat of a meditation and it said it my own will find me you know, and my own will recognize me, and I'm paraphrasing because it's actually quite lovely. But right. at the end, what I love is it says, and even I cannot deny it. Right. Finding me, the path 
of my soul. So at some point you said, all right, I get it. Let's don't let me, you know, the struggle is too hard. It's, it, and so um, what happens after that on your path? Well, I mean, you know, as you said, you know, uh, you know, there's such a long tradition of people who, you know, when they're touched by, um, you know, the hand of the divine, the first thing they do is complain or, or, um, or try to get out of it or, you know, so, you know, I, I, I recall, um, um, you know, again, you know, uh, in the 1970s, cocaine was one of the things that was just prevalent and, um, you know, went in Rome, you know, and so, uh, but curiously, I would, find myself gathered around a group of people and we were doing cocaine and I, I, I would just end up talking about God really fast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Life is good. It's a creative process. <laughs> so I finally figured, you know, there's a cheaper way to do this. <laughs> And, you know, or I would be talking about, like, you know, the Jonah story, because, like, that was that was where I was. I mean, you know, it was like there was one called, you know, get me to Nineveh, and, like, there's just no way I'm going to Nineveh. But I'm sitting here talking about Nineveh the whole time. So eventually, um, you know, uh, you know, one succumbs. And um, and luckily, I, I found the place at Harvard Divinity School that was um, good for me because I wasn't looking for a denominational seminary. I wasn't looking for a party line. I wasn't looking for answers so much as I was in an environment where curiosity and wonder and exploration would be supported. And and because the Center for the Study of World Religions is there, then I would also be studying with you know, Jews and Hindus and Buddhists and um, uh, and Muslims and 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 Christians and Protestants, Catholics, everybody, and and that just felt more natural to me because that was the world I was going to be living in. So, um, so landing there was important because um, um, I needed to find a spirituality that made sense in the world that I knew that. I was going to be ministering and living in, growing in, and I didn't want some narrow slice of some denominational pie. So um, even though, you know, you would think that, you know, my choice for Harvard would be because of the name or the prestige or the whatever, it was actually more the, the, the diversity that was most important um, to me. Um, and it was, and I, and I loved that I had that because... Um, I feel very much at home in the world, um, um, which a lot of, you know, Christians still struggle with, you know, that. Um, and so and I, I, I don't. And I think that that's uh, a very important part and, and, and strong point um, is that, you know, I often make a reference to this when I talk about, you know, people are saying, I mean, we we know the statement, you know, be the change you wish to see, right. or you know the the Gandhi aspect of right. that. But it's also be the the blank, you know. So be mm-hmm. the oneness. So I've said a number of times in through my you know teachings that you know people say they want 
oneness and they want oneness in the world and, and all that. And, mm-hmm. and, and the way to have that is to not feel any of that adversarial energy within yourself, to not right. be conflicted within yourself. And, and because you said that, I, I just wanted to elaborate on that because of many mm-hmm. authors that I've met and had the good pleasure along my life in 25 years of ministry to meet a lot of them, you definitely exemplify that I'm comfortable with myself. I'm comfortable with who I am. I'm not mm-hmm. feeling threatened or intimidated in any way by right. anything around me. And, right. and that's an art. It's, it's learned. And it's mm-hmm. also, uh, I think would attribute to a person that's been willing to go within the depths of him or herself. Don't you, mm-hmm. don't you, uh, resonate with that? So I'm not, you know, trying to put you on a pedestal that's so high, you know, the, the, the angels hit you today, but you know what I mean? I think that it's a decision that you've made is the point. I think that we make a decision about, you know, what it is we're holding, uh, whether it's oneness or peace or whatever, but mm-hmm. then how is that going on inside ourselves? And right, right. thank you for modeling that. Well, I think for me, one of the things that, um, and I appreciate all your very kind um, words, um, and there are some decisional aspects of it, but one one of the decisional aspects for me is it's not even really decisional. It's it's a sort of visceral trust that, like, God can take care of God's self. It's like, a, it's like if God is God, like... I don't have to worry about, like, if God is going to be upset if somebody says this or that about that form of God or this form of I figure, you know, God can handle it. <laughs> so, so God doesn't really need me to, you know, to, like, get into a big fight about it. Um, so, it so it's a deep faith in, in, you know, I mean, in the Hebrew tradition, you know, the name that God gives to God's self is I am what I am or I will be what I will be, which means God can be anything, anywhere, at any time, and well, that's a pretty wide range. <laughs> so, who am I to say what God is choosing to, you know, arise as in this day, this moment, this culture? If God says, "I will be what I will be," um, I had a, a rabbi, a spiritual director who um, made me laugh. He, we were talking about this, and he said, you know, even to say that God is good is an insult. Uh, <laughs> because even that makes God, like, too small. Like, God can be anything, you know? God can be something that breaks your heart. And then, you know, and then you get broken open. I mean, I mean, God, God can be anything, anywhere. There isn't any place that God can't be. And so I trust that. So deeply that I I don't get nervous around different people trying to crowbar God into this or that, you know, theological box. Mm-hmm. And the key point uh, in that is back to the element of you're, you're comfortable with yourself. Like, you know, when at in my early 30s i i was one of the few people that i had that i knew i didn't do it to be one of the few people let me let me set it up that way but i um in my talk i would say as a visiting speaker teacher you know that i have 
I don't, ha- I didn't have some of the diseases of the world, but I have the disease called alcoholism and, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, it would often push people's buttons and in the, mm-hmm. you know, in the evaluation, some people would say, felt like I was in AA meeting or whatever, mm-hmm. or felt like, you know, she was wanting to recruit me, which mm-hmm. immediately gave them away. You know, yeah. it's like, <laughs> it's like, what? I didn't mean to step up your toes there with your sandals, but, you know, me, I think, me think if he protested too much. <laughs> but I, I never needed a gang. You know, I never was right. trying to get people to join the club. I never was looking for, you know, one more person to say they were so I could validate myself. It was just like, this is what it is for me, and I'm very comfortable with that, and I sit with that, and... Um, and 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 that is is that space and i i i love this conversation we're having because um it, it's so rich and it is so much about how you're holding um the sabbath which is a whole level of conversation that we want to get into when we come back right after this short break if you're just coming on we're listening to the one and only Wayne Muller uh, go to his website waynemuller m u l l e r.com you can find out about all his many writings his books his events and everything that he's about we'll be right back after this short break Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. We are all on the journey together, making sense of this life, finding our spirituality, growing and evolving. As we travel through this world, Unity Magazine is your resource for gaining a deeper understanding of life. Unity Magazine is on the forefront of spiritual discovery with articles and features from leading authors, teachers, and philosophers. Stimulate your thinking and strengthen your spirituality with Unity Magazine. Sample a free trial issue or subscribe today at unitymagazine.org. Thank you for listening to The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being with Reverend Temple Hayes. If you have a question or comment about today's discussion, you can email us at theintentionalspirit at unityonlineradio.org. Now, here is your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. 
Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for being with us today. Myself and Wayne Muller, author extraordinaire. Um, Wayne, you are doing so many things. And how many books have you written now? Hmm, I think I've got um, about five of them out. Um, and then I have uh, a series of different um, uh, tape and CD uh, things that I did with Sounds True over the years that are now all in sort of downloadable form on the Sounds True website. That Some of them correspond to books, and some of them are things that are completely independent of the books, and some of them are kind of fun. Um, one of them, actually, um, I had uh, Herbie Mann, who was a, was a great jazz flute player, um, come up to Boulder with me and, um, and like, improv in the sort of spaces in between my talks. And, um, uh, and, that, and that's one of the things on Sounds True that um, is a real gem that um, not too many people know about, but it's really, it's really fun. Well, I I believe I've told you in our other conversations along the way, um, the, the book, um, when I started here at this community like 13 years ago, the book that I picked was How Then Shall We Live? Mm-hmm. And I've done it a couple of times, and every time I do it, actually within the realm of doing it, people say, oh, please, we need to have this again. Uh-huh. It's such a, a powerful um you know, holds the possibility for people mm-hmm. to really get, you know, within the word question is quest I on, to really mm-hmm. get, I'm on this quest, what's it look right. like, how am I participating, who am I, what do I love, right. how did that, how did that book uh, come about? Well, um... I mean, I think there are two two streams that sort of came together. One is that the book that preceded it, which was um, a Legacy of the Heart on the Spiritual Advantages of a Painful Childhood, the um, point I was trying to help people get was that there was a very real possibility that regardless of what was given to them as children, that they weren't permanently broken by this or... They didn't need a diagnosis to carry around as their primary name forever um, uh, because that made them too small. It was true, but it wasn't the only thing that was true about them. And so then the question comes up, well, if I'm not going to spend 100 years in therapy, then what do I do with my life? So <laughs> that was that was part of it. But the more immediate um, reality was that, in the mid 1980s, um, uh, we began to get an influx of people with what we now know was HIV, um, but people were dying in cities like New York and LA and San Francisco, and a lot of people were moving to Santa Fe. And there's, um, there's even a musical rent that was, you know, big on. Broadway, and there's a song in there about people moving to Santa Fe because that they were. And so I ended up as sort of the de facto AIDS chaplain in 
Santa Fe to all this massive um, influx of people, many of whom, because it was before we really had a diagnosis and certainly before there was any treatment, the only treatment we had was our presence and our company and our, our love and our generosity and and that sort of emerged from first the gay community and then the rest of the community. So I was around, I was pressed up against the membrane of life and death and mortality and uncertainty all the time, every day. And and there's something that's um, very heartbreaking and very enlivening about um, that. If you ever talk to people who work in hospice, they'll that's what they'll tell you. It's like the best of times and the worst of times because all all the things that aren't really important fall away when you're dealing with life and death. And so it it clears, it cleanses the palate. And so a lot of those questions were questions that I was talking about with people all the time because they were either reviewing their life or hoping for a resurrection of some kind or... um, you know, ending you know their life involuntarily at a, often a very early age and reflecting on it. So I was sort of called to um, you know a few basic human questions that were common to everybody, regardless of their sexuality, their age, their whatever. Um, AIDS just happened to concentrate it into a population and a time and a space in such a way that. I was just surrounded by it. There was a lot of awakening going on in that in that particular time, yeah. and um, wow, um, the learning that you know all of us uh, benefited from that, and your work just catapulted to an entirely different level. And of course, Louise Hay, you know, and mm-hmm. all the work that she was doing at that time right. time right. as as well. Um, I haven't read A Life of Being, Having, and Doing Enough. Um, Mm -hmm. I love the image on the book. I I love that you have a full glass of that wonderful wellspring of life called water. Mm -hmm. Um, What is the background of that book and the intention with that? Well, I mean, it's interesting as you ask it, like some of these books sort of, you know, um, somehow seed um, something that, creates the, the the one after, but having written the book on the Sabbath and being invited to speak with people about, um, you know, how we're living in time and the rhythm of work and rest and how we've mm-hmm. lost that rhythm in our lives and people talking to me about how much they liked that book and how much... Um, comfort it gave them and and I said well that's great you know what kind of changes you've been able to make and well I, I can't really make any changes but I love the book <laughs> <laughs> it was a great concept Wayne but so yeah, I really love me I read it every night you know it's really great you know but I can't I can't do anything you know to make my life any different but it's, it's really a great book and <laughs> so I, I I was you know I was forced to either go with the, you know, as an inspirational speaker, clearly I'm the least inspirational of them all, or 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 there's some headwind here that we're bumping up against, and I wonder what it is. And it seemed as if, you know, the issue of permission or the absence of permission 
to stop, to take time to um, get off that spinning flywheel of, of uh, civilization um, comes in part from external forces, some from internal forces, but also one of the times we allow ourselves to stop is when we've done enough for now or enough for today or like that's enough work you know that's a good piece of work and then you can sort of step back and exhale and uh and and it just take delight in whatever you've planted or built and and i was finding that people because their to-do lists kept getting longer and longer that people never quite got to the point of feeling that anything they did was enough and so any idea of permission to take Sabbath because you'd finished something and could now take some time off, that that had been robbed from them in some way, and then we needed to be able to then define for ourselves what is sufficient for the day, uh, a phrase that Jesus would use quite often, you know, sufficient, you know, is, are the, you know, the troubles of the day, or um, that give us this day our daily bread, referring back to the, you know, the mana, and, you know, uh, in, in in that pilgrimage through the wilderness. But, you know, what? how do we know what's enough so that we can then rest or step back and and the culture isn't going to define that for us so um it's a way to sort of help people um uh, discover um you know that um deep permission that comes from uh, a sense of sufficiency that like okay that was a good day and you can put your head on the pillow and feel like there's nothing left to think about or worry about or be concerned about because you've already done enough. Um, the number of people who have that experience, um, sadly, is, 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 is quite small. <laughs> um, so, you know, the book was sort of to help give people a leg up, at least in some kind of practice for them that would help them get there. I, I love that you took then the writings from the Sabbath and then the, the comments and the, and the grandiosity around that to the point of, wait a minute, here's something. Let's go a step deep, deeper and really assess your own life. Uh, you know, that perhaps you are being, having and, and doing enough. It's, uh, it's, it's a, it is a daily thing, isn't it? And choosing mm-hmm. either perfection or connection, mm-hmm. and um, or from the love flow, or or from the headspace. It's certainly, mm-hmm. it, it's an incredible journey. I've been somewhat, um, if the words uh, chewing on, um, mm-hmm. a quote that uh, came to me uh, a few days ago, and it's honoring and respecting your life mm-hmm. every day transcends whether or not you love your life every day. So honoring and respecting your life every day transcends whether or not you love your life every day. I've been just really enjoying the practice of that, the thought of that, you know, the sound bite of that, because uh, there are days that all of us go, now this is a quite a day. <laughs> <laughs> right. And we might use other kinds of language even to describe it. <laughs> this is a special day, and we're glad that you're right, that no one's being YouTubed out there. And yet, uh, they I do feel um, 
they become less. Or there's only, it goes from the willingness to give something uh, that's dramatic hours of one's time versus mm-hmm. maybe just a few minutes of one's time because you're valuing uh, the honor and respect of your life and it's your, you become like then a gatekeeper of what you're going to let in and what you're not and how you're going to participate and, um, it is great to continue to be growing in, in that awareness of, and, and deeper, I'm sure, within what you're writing is, is to really get that the person is enough. Mm. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, obviously, you know, it, it lands there in people that, um, you know, once enough times there's a sense of external insufficiency or, you know, not good enough, then that inner unworthiness, um, you know, ultimately um, arises or people bump into it or, um, or, or find themselves um, uh, in, the, in the morass of that place of, um, of inner unworthiness that, um, that, that's such a plague on the human psyche and so sadly common. Um, and I think it's fed in part by, um, you know, how we're living in time or how we're trying to live in time. Um, you know, the speed of the you know, the mind can process things rather quickly. It can process images and data and, um, uh, you know, things like that rather quickly. So um, the mind gets along really well with um, our technologies, our smartphone, the Internet. Um, but the things that the heart knows and the things that the heart contributes to our life, to our community, to the people we love, um, like love and uh, community and collaboration and honesty and generosity and authenticity and curiosity and um, children and uh, all those th- and creativity all those things worship prayer contemplation all those things need time in order to grow and they have to run through the very um, sort of sloppy inefficient organ of the heart um, in order to find their place and and in order for us to be able to really authentically bring something like love or generosity to the table and know that that's what we're bringing as we parse time into smaller and smaller bits for all intents and purposes, we're we're creating a world where we're collectively agreeing that all that stuff, all that love, honesty, generosity stuff, we're just not going to have that anymore because we just don't have time for it because it, it takes too long. It's it's not efficient. It's not. It doesn't move at the speed we need things to move, and so. There's a everywhere I go. There's a sort of quiet river of grief among a lot of people who can never bring their best to the table. They can never um, say that they have the time that they would love to have to um, taste the fruits of any of those practices because we're always being pushed along to do things faster and faster. And um, so, how how we as a community 
and and we're not really talking about that. I mean, you don't hear that in any of the presidential debates, but that's one of the most potent um, threads that runs through the fabric of the whole culture of the United States, at least, and certainly most of the Western cultures, um, you know, with the uh, remarkable... Uh, <laughs> Uh, exception of France, of course. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> they're going to take two months in the summer, regardless of what you tell them. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, so that's what I'm bumping into a lot in the world is 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 just raising the question of you know where do we even go to be able to tell the truth about how we feel about how we live in time and and what would we like to do about it and you know they're hard questions to have um but they're really important and nobody's asking them and there's no safe place to ask because if you bring them up just by yourself um in in a hospital or a um a teaching situation or um or a church or, or anywhere else you know that well there's five people behind you who will take your job um so you know people are reluctant to raise those kinds of questions in the workplace um so it's very rare to find people you know talking about them it's like I was um, interviewing not too long ago a CEO of a, a major uh, organization. Um, it was a one-on-one conversation. And I said, you know, are you happy? You know, you've been here 10 years. Right. Are you happy? Right. And it was like blank stare. Like, right. what is that happy thing? You know, like, what? And it And the question was actually... Avoided. Right. You know, to describe, right. well, call it payback, you know, call it, you know, some kind of karmic payback, and it's kind of like, uh-oh, <laughs> we, we have left the zone of happiness. <laughs> uh-oh. Yeah. It wasn't one of those sort of like simple, rigorous honesty kind of answers. <laughs> right. We're not, we're not feeling the happy picture right now. and um <laughs> Gone into another zone. We are now entering into deep, deep, dark control and perfectionism. So, um, well, and also protecting this this curious world that you know, as we build it, we really are sort of um, leaving less and less room for a lot of the things that you know many of us hold as precious or sacred or beautiful all of which need time, the longer our to-do list gets, the more we trade gold for silver in order to get, you know, a few more moments of time to get more things done. We, we keep trading away um, these um, other beautiful, eternal, magnificent blessings and gifts and wonders of creation that are part of the beauty of a human life. Um, that we're literally handing away. We're just we're giving them away for more efficiency and in service of what I don't know. I mean, because when you ask people, well, what does this get us? 
you know, I don't, I don't, nobody really knows what the brass ring is or what the prize at the, in the Cracker Jack box. I mean, it's not like you get a year in Tahiti if you, like, get more done. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, there's no, there's no, there's no great prize right. except getting more done. <laughs> and, you know, it seems a little thin to me. Um, you know, you imagine a whole, whole graveyard of, you know, and all the, uh, all the epitaphs are the same. Got a bunch of stuff done. Uh, <laughs> it's so ridiculous, isn't it? It's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's so true. It's like, and and you're, you know, what I love is how you're talking about, you know, on on the unconscious, those influencers, those drivers. It's like, right. according to who and according to what, you right. know. Um, what is that, and and how do you measure it, and what is that ultimate sense of um, uh, accomplishment, right? Right. Um, right. It's like uh, who made up this stuff, or more importantly, I think that's kind of the premise of a lot of your writing, and I I love that is about you know, and who's asking the questions. I mean, rather than how right. quick can I get this done and right. what am I going to do next, whatever happened to do I want to. Right. You know, yeah, I, what, what are we, why, what are we doing and why are we doing it? Yeah, I know that you and, and Joan Bornesinko are really good friends in a long-term relationship. And, and in that way, I, I, I love how both of you somewhat frame that. It's somewhere between the no longer and the not yet – the no longer doesn't need to keep filling the slot. <laughs> right, right, no, right. we don't need to keep just filling the space with the same old things. And right. you know, what we say in 12-step, of course, is, you know, doing the same thing and anticipating right, a different results. result. Results, right. sure. But, yeah, well, I, I also know that you do a lot for the um, Sienna Retreat Center, and you've uh, contributed to so many other, you know, mm-hmm. addiction and alcoholic uh, rehab centers throughout mm-hmm. uh, throughout the country. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you get into that work? Well, I mean, I think to a certain degree, um you know, for me, all, all of the things that we're talking about, um, you know, there's a thread that sort of moves through them all. I mean, when I think about, um, you know, what we might call philanthropy, you know, you go back to the uh, philo-anthropos. It's, it's, a, it's a love of people. Um, it's not the way you would think of philanthropy when you think of a large foundation and the 500-page proposal that you have to fill out for them in order to get a $2,000 grant. It doesn't feel like it's motivated by a love of people, but um, that's the original intent behind it. And again, um, if you spend time in a community, um, um, you begin to see that there are um, people very close to the ground who know exactly what their community needs to heal or to grow or to become um, more beautiful or more fruitful or more nourishing. And they're only missing um, one end, small enzyme, and sometimes it's enough money to buy a loom to start a weaving cooperative or enough um, money to rent a house to turn into a shelter for battered women or and and that money will help liberate 
all kinds of capital in the community, but it's kindness capital and it's creativity capital and it's love capital and it's commitment capital and it's resourcefulness and, and creativity and, and, and all that capital gets um, you know liberated by um, uh, by a little bit of financial um, capital and so um, again all that um, needs time um, for people to, to listen and see what's necessary and feel what's needed and feel where the, the grace and the gifts and the abilities lie in some of these communities. And um, Gerald May, who was a you know, he was at Shalem, um, um, sort of leading their spiritual direction program for many years. He was a psychiatrist and a theologian, and 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 he made such a great statement. He said, "The opposite of love isn't hate, and 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 the opposite of love isn't necessarily fear, as as is often spoken about in many spiritual traditions." He said, "The opposite of love is efficiency," and. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think that cuts to the heart of where so many of us, so many people are um, are suffering because um, efficiency is a mechanism that basically turns people into functions. And then once a person becomes a function, then they're replaceable. And then we don't have an I-thou relationship with a function. We have an I-it relationship. And as soon as people become its, well, we know what can happen. Then people can be, its can be enslaved, its can be put away in concentration camps, its can be, you know, I mean, it just goes on and on. Um, so the only way to have an I-thou relationship um, and, and, and to have a loving relationship is to allow things to move through the heart, which by definition is one of our most inefficient organs in terms of, in terms of the time it takes to really know what the heart knows. Um, and so if we cut the heart out of the equation, we end up with a world that's very efficient in getting a lot of things done. But at the end of the day, there, it's empty calories, and people feel brittle and thin, and 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 they're exhausted, and and they wonder, like, for what? What's it for? What 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 are we working for exactly? There's, there's little sense that we're working for building a better world or um, setting more people free. It's really about just getting more done, which is the heart of efficiency, and so. Um, you know, one of the things I've been doing is working with Ghost Ranch here in uh, northern New Mexico, um, which has been a retreat center for um, almost 60 years now, and it's where George O'Keefe did all of her painting, and um, and it's a beautiful place because when you're when you're there, it's like you're in this crucible of eternity. You can just see the layers of millions of years of, of geological formation around you, and we're in the middle of all that. Um, you get a much larger sense of time, and suddenly um, the urgency of, of getting this particular email finished um, 
right sizes itself. <laughs> Absolutely. It just falls telling comparison. Well, everyone, I know you've enjoyed this time as much as I have with Wayne Muller. You can go to his website, waynemuller.com, and you can find out about his future events. He has a lot of different writings on there, his books. Um, and just learn more about the work, not only beyond the work, let's just say beyond the work of what he's doing, how it can truly be part in making changes in your own life, um, which is the most important piece of it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm Temple Hayes. If you've enjoyed this conversation today, please join me on my website, templehayes.com, or join us on firstunity.com. Thank you, Wayne Muller, for being with us today and and gracing us with your wonderful Sabbath energy. You are uh, just a wonderful human being. Well, it's my pleasure, and I I second that. Go to Temple's website and and, uh, enjoy yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Wayne. We'll be talking because we're having you in Florida. It's a real true story coming soon. (laughs) All right. I'll look for for the movie version. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Take care. Much love. All right. Much love to you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being with Reverend Temple Hayes. Join us every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central for tools and simple applications which will support you from being alive to fully living. This program is brought to you in part by First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida. To learn more about this ministry, go to www.unitycampus.org or www.templehaze.org. Like life, grief is a journey, not a destination. Whether it is loss of life, relationship, security, or simply the process of change, have you given yourself permission to begin your journey of grief? Have you yielded to the gift of grace? Join Reverend Chaz Wesley every Thursday at 5 p.m. Central on a virtual navigation from grief to grace and explore new horizons of empowerment, significance, and support only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. As human beings, we have been granted quite a bit of power. One of the greatest powers that we have is the power of choice. We can choose to react to situations and to people in any way that we like, and it has tremendous effect on our lives and our world. There is a spiritual law that states, thoughts held in mind will produce after their kind. Simply put, our thoughts can create our worlds. And it's quite possible to change the total direction of our lives by simply changing the way we think, by choosing to see life differently. 
If you're unhappy with the direction your life is headed, remember, you can change it. You've been given the power of choice. Learn how to choose it wisely. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. There is peace. There is quiet. Reverend Paulette's mantra is, It's all a prayer. Tune in every Tuesday as Unity Minister Paulette Pipe leads you in meditation and prayer on touching the stillness. Make no mistake, this is not nap time. With an energy that will captivate you, touching the stillness will guide you in deep meditation, leaving you enlivened. Hear astounding meditations and learn more about different forms of meditation. Enrich your prayer life as Reverend Paulette, Senior Minister of Touching the Stillness Ministries, affirmatively prays with power and authority by taking live prayer requests from callers like you. Whether you have a prayer request for yourself or for a loved one or are ready for a deepened meditation experience, make sure you tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Central Time, where we'll be joining in consciousness with the unceasing prayer activity of the Silent Unity 24-7 Prayer Ministry at Unity Village. That's Touching the Stillness with Reverend Paulette Pipe every Tuesday right here on Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Letting go in the stillness. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, shows you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week you'll learn about the latest on the vegan life. It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Guests will range from unity ministers to vegan authors, activists, physicians, chefs, and even some of those glittery celebs. There'll be recipes, ideas, tips for going vegan at your own pace, and ways to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. 
Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time for Main Street Vegan, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Understand the laws of the universe and live a life based on these profound and unwavering truths, then your dream life starts today. No more waiting, no more wandering. If you're ready to let go of the striving and move into the allowing, you are ready for everyday attraction on Unity Online Radio. We study the teaching of Abraham given to us by beautiful Esther Hicks so we can release confusion for clarity, exchange struggle for serenity, and have the time of our lives today. Join host Ray Zander every Friday at noon Central Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Unity Online Radio for Everyday Attraction, where the law of attraction gets real. Like life, grief is a journey, not a destination. Whether it is loss of life, relationship, security, or simply the process of change, have you given yourself permission to begin your journey of grief? Have you yielded to the gift of grace? Join Reverend Chaz Wesley every Thursday at 5 p.m. Central on a virtual navigation from grief to grace and explore new horizons of empowerment, significance, and support only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to live in joy? Is there an area of your life where you could use a miracle? Have you been praying for help and guidance? Come join Lisa and Bill and their guests for an hour filled with practical tips on experiencing miracles, greater abundance, focused, deliberate living, and the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Experience more joy in life. Listen to Living in Joy, Reflections on A Course in Miracles, with Lisa Natoli and Bill Free, every Friday at 2 p.m. Central, here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ramdesh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
Are you ready for deeper spiritual breakthroughs? Have you wondered how to apply spiritual principles to your everyday life in practical ways? Do you feel your soul is calling you to deeper purposes? Join Reverend Galen McDowell live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central for Truth Transforms, a discussion on how God within you, as you, is the power to transform your life. If you really believe that consciousness determines your experiences and that you are an individualized expression of God, join us as we help awaken and transform the consciousness of humanity. We will discuss, through lecture, live interviews and call-in questions, spiritual healing, prayer, prosperity, forgiveness, new thought views about eternal life, and much more. The world is waiting for your truth transformation, only on Unity Online Radio. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify. 